0: Right now, as we read John 20, verses 24 through 31. This is the inerrant Word of God. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. Father, we thank you for this, your word. It is our glory to continue to worship you as we respond uh, to your word. And we pray that you would anoint uh, this time, quicken the word, mix it in our hearts with faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have a a beautiful cuckoo clock that used to be hanging on the wall in our library, and uh, we've kind of packed it up because we didn't have any wall to put it on. We had to put bookshelves, you know, the library, the church library keeps growing and expanding. Um, but we do value that, uh, that cuckoo clock. You might question that since we've got it in a box uh, sitting somewhere. But uh, it's a collector's piece, and so it's got some economic value. It's uh, also kind of part of the inheritance uh, from uh, Grandma Olson, and so there's some sentimental value to that clock. And it's a beautiful piece. We, We really like that clock. But we don't look to that clock for time. It does not direct our schedule. It does not control our lives in any way. And it's only on occasion that we actually look at it. And there are some people who treat the Lord Jesus Christ in exactly that way. Uh, They may wind him up for, you know, a couple of hours on Sunday morning, but for the most part, he's in a box during the week. Uh, They don't really relate to him on a day-by-day basis. And it would be a sad thing if you were a Christian for only three reasons— Maybe the first of those reasons being because it's a family tradition to worship Jesus. Well, it ought to be a family tradition, but uh, that's not enough. Or secondly, because he has historical value, and he does. He's at the center and heart of all of history. And then thirdly, because you've invested so much in being a Christian, which we obviously ought to invest a great deal in being Christians. It's not like those are bad reasons, But the Scripture says there needs to be so much more. The Bible calls us to relate to Jesus on a day-by-day basis, to experience His shepherding uh, care in our lives, to be in a vital relationship with Him. And if uh, that is not the case with you, if Jesus is more like our cuckoo clock that's uh, boxed up in a box somewhere, then john chapters 20 through 21 have a lot to say to you now they have a lot to say to all of us and i hope you're all going to come away encouraged this morning but uh one of the things that they say is that the kingdom of god does not come in word only but it comes in word and in power to to quote first corinthians 4 verse 20. And uh, Jesus may be right now at work in this congregation powerfully working His Word into the lives of some of you, and some of you are just oblivious to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at the resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ and also what went on in between when He was not visible uh, in their lives. But one of the things that struck me about these passages is uh, the powerful change that came over the apostles after they saw and were absolutely convinced of the resurrection of the Lord. Now, they had heard the doctrine of the resurrection a number of times before, but it was not until Christ came and ministered that word into their lives that you can see the radical change, the radical difference uh, in them. It was after they were in fellowship with him that they really were on fire over this doctrine of the the resurrection. And so these scriptures are like a scalpel in Christ's hands. Uh, they are sharper than any two-edged sword. And as he begins to minister in chapters 20 and 21, you see amazing, remarkable changes in the specific areas that they needed to be changed in. I think Mary's a good example in chapter 20. Mary had heard Jesus say... A number of times that he would die would suffer be in the grave for three days and would rise on the third day in fact I counted just in the gospel of John alone 20 predictions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave of the resurrection and Mary said she believed in the resurrection long before he died she believed it and yet somehow uh, it did not go from her from her head to her heart and uh, in chapter 20, you see that she is just weeping. But before I even get into that passage, I want to point out, it's not like she's um, uh, unusual. This happens to us all the time. You can take just about any doctrine, and you'll find times where you're not acting as if you believe it. Take Romans eight twenty uh, eight. 28. Romans eight twenty eight. If somebody were to ask you, do you believe that all things work together for your good? You will say, absolutely, yes. That's the inerrant word of God. And yet how many times do we get frustrated at God's providences, which implies they're not working together for our good. We get anxious. Uh, we get very, very fearful. Really, they're no different than us. It's very difficult for us to see Jesus through the tears and for our heart and our, 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 our mind to be getting those things together. So take a look at chapter 20 and verse 13. Okay, the angels are talking here. The angels say to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? There's a a degree of amazement in their voice in light of everything that Jesus has said about the resurrection. Why are you weeping? Now, she doesn't seem to catch that because she's so heartbroken. And it says, She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Their words do not dry her tears goes on, now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So Jesus is trying to stir up her faith as well and to question her need to weep. But it says, she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, apparently at some point she turns her back on him because it says next that Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher, and she gets excited. She gets very excited. When a soul is seeking for Christ, nothing but Christ is going to satisfy her. These angels talk to her, but those words do not dry her tears. Jesus talks to her, and his words are always inspired words, right? And yet his words do not dry her tears until she recognizes his presence in those words. And the same can be true of us you've probably experienced times where you've gone through personal devotions and the scriptures are as dry as dust and other times where god's spirit is so powerfully using those scriptures you feel fit to bust uh, inside or you come to church and you know sometimes okay yeah phil he's got information galore you know every time but uh you're not really sensing the power of god's spirit in our midst and there's other times where you do. We're talking about the presence of Christ uh, in our ministry, in our work, in everything that we do. Um, When we just read the Bible as if it's a historical document from 2,000 years ago, we're missing something dynamic that is going on where God is taking and speaking those words directly to our heart. Here's what he said to the Laodicean church in Revelation. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. So here is Jesus outside the church knocking on the door. That means that there is an entire church worshiping, singing the songs, maybe not the ones we had up here, uh, but singing songs, and they have been reading the scriptures, and Jesus says, I'm not even in that church. That's exactly what the text says. He's outside the church knocking on that church door, but he says all it will take is one person inside that church to hear my voice to invite me in and I will come in to him and I'll have the Lord's Supper with him. I will dine with him is what Jesus uh, was saying uh, to, uh, uh, to that church. And that's what I'm going to be getting at in this sermon. Are you content to merely be hearing theology coming from my lips or are you like Mary, longing for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, longing for his presence? You see, Gary, Rodney, and I, we're only supposed to be under shepherds. We're not supposed to be substitutes for the Lord Jesus. We are under shepherds helping as tools to constantly direct people to the Lord. And the ideal is that you experience his shepherding ministry moment by moment throughout the week. Now, earlier in John 14, Christ had promised, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He's saying, how in the world are we going to see your sense or have your presence with us and the world's not going to know about it? And he goes on to say, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So resurrection day, the doctrine of the resurrection is more than just a doctrine. As wonderful, as wonderful as that doctrine is, it is more than that. He has promised to manifest himself to us, to come to us, to make his home with us. He's talking about relationship, friendship, communion with him. He is a resin and a a present Savior. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Christ said, For where two or three are gathered together in my name... I am there in the midst of them. That means Jesus Christ is here in this room ministering to you, saying to you, Mary, why are you weeping? I am here for you. He he is ministering his word into your life. His last words in the Gospel of Matthew are, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Luke 24, it was an interesting incident. We won't spend uh, much time on it, but there's two of the disciples that are rocking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking with them. They don't recognize him, and he's opening up the scriptures to them. They don't know it's Jesus, but they know there's something different, and it's that different that they begin to recognize. This is the presence of the Lord with us. Here's what they said. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? There was something different about that discussion of the word than there was about their discussions that they had previously. Are your hearts ever on fire as you get into the word, as you sense God is here, he is speaking to me, he's ministering to me, he cares about me, I'm excited about the Lord. This is the Christ that I am presenting to you this morning. He is a Christ who is alive, who is present, who cares about you, who ministers to you, who speaks through the preaching, who speaks through the singing of the word, uh, who actually, according to Hebrews, is singing with us in the congregation. He says, in the midst of the brethren, I will sing psalms to you. That's what Hebrews says. And uh, so uh, together with the Father, he is seeking, according to John chapter 4, For those who will worship the Father, not just in truth, but who will worship in spirit and in truth. Those two are linked together. Now, there's a second ministry that happens in verses 19 through 20. The disciples have not yet learned to enter into this relationship with God. And Christ in his mercy, what he's doing is he's getting the ball rolling. It's like he's priming the pump. And he's ministering to them by making himself visible to them on certain occasions. And each of these occasions, he's ministering to a specific need. They had been overcome by a paralyzing fear of persecution. Have you ever wondered what it was that turned these disciples from fearful disciples into bold witnesses? Uh, it was the reality of the presence of Christ and His Holy Spirit with them. In fact, we're going to take points two and three together because when Jesus gives them the Spirit, He's giving them peace. When He gives them peace, He's giving them the Spirit. The two really belong together. But let's um, let's start reading at um, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. By the way, there was something different about this resurrected, glorified body. You could touch it. You could feel it. He still had some of the marks of his previous body, and yet he was able to pass through doors. There was something in terms of physics that was different. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now when later they engaged in the Great Commission, they did it with incredible boldness in the face of incredible obstacles. And the reason for it is they were personally convinced of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with him. Now these women had already told the disciples the truth about Christ's resurrection. And it says in Luke that they treated them as idle tales. But doctrine was designed to lead them to presence. And Hebrews 13 quotes Christ as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That may not be a visible presence, but it is a presence nonetheless. Uh, Bishop Lajos Ordos of the Lutheran Church was one of those Christians who had suffered enormously under the uh, communist persecution in Hungary, and there were a lot of other pastors that suffered there as well, but he had been protesting publicly the closing down of the Christian schools, and so the communists arrested him, tortured him, put him into isolation, and there was a meeting up in Minneapolis, and this is just a brief section from uh, his testimony He said they placed me in solitary confinement. It was a tiny cell, perhaps six feet by eight feet, with no windows and soundproofed. They hoped to break down my resistance by isolating me from all sensory perceptions. They thought I was alone. They were wrong. The risen Christ was present in that room, and in communion with Him, I was able to prevail. And you know, there have been countless Christians Down through history, have said, you know, that the stronger the pressures and the persecution or other kinds of issues have been in their lives, the more they have been able to sense the reality of Christ uh, with them. Uh, We we do have a risen Lord uh, who is uh, present with us. Uh, Now, when I get anxious, I have some mental disciplines that I go through that help to resolve anxiety. But I'll tell you something. When, when I sense the presence of Christ with me, it's instantaneous. I have peace. It's gone. There's a difference between wrestling through it and receiving the power, the reality of his work with you. So here's my question. Is Jesus like that, like that clock? You pull it out once in a while and admire it. But for the most part, it sits in a box. Uh, is it something that brings back good memories but gives no direction and comfort in your life? So it's not enough to value Jesus historically like you value George Washington. He is one that you need to enter into fellowship with on a regular basis. He promises his people this. Seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now it's when you find him that you find his, his power. He, as it were, breathes the Spirit afresh into your life. Okay, just like he did in that passage that we read from. He strengthens your walk in the Spirit. Actually, a lot of Christians, uh, they wonder what in the world Galatians is talking about. I had a pastor ask me, what is this, this walking in the Spirit? Uh, He said, I've never experienced anything like you're talking about. And a lot of people treat this as if it's theoretical. It is not theoretical. What Galatians is saying is you cannot sanctify yourself. Yeah, you can put on a lot of fake uh, 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 counterfeits of, of, of the graces of God. But just as these disciples back then could not get rid of their fear until it was replaced by the Spirit's peace, you cannot... Uh, Put on the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from faith, receiving it from the Lord Himself. And so Galatians 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So if Christianity was just about doing some things differently and believing different doctrines, well, even an unbeliever could do that. At least he could fake it for a while, couldn't he? But Christianity is about living by faith, receiving moment by moment from our risen Lord the things that he is shepherding into our lives. Let's move down to the next section, which is um, verses 24 through 31. It was a knowledge that Jesus was risen indeed that enabled these disciples to believe even though they didn't have all the answers this is the story about doubting Thomas Uh, he just had a hard time believing that the resurrection could be could be true there's a lot of things in life we don't understand I don't have all the the answers uh, and I don't think any of us do Uh, but Christ's response to Thomas let me just comment on that briefly Christ's response to Thomas makes it very clear he expects us to believe even when the Bible doesn't make sense. Why? Because it's the inerrant Word of God. But when you have the risen Lord in your life, He illumines your mind and helps it to make sense. It all fits together. So we're not talking about turning your brain off. The Holy Spirit never turns your brain off. Jesus never turns your brain off. What He does is He enables us to think more clearly he enlightened in fact John one says he enlightens every man that comes into the world if it wasn't for his rationality given to every person they wouldn't be able to reason at all but for the Christian it's laying hold Lord I need your wisdom I used to I, I shouldn't confess this but maybe I should yeah it would be good for the soul <laughs> early in my ministry I used to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle over a passage when I couldn't understand it go to prayer Wrong. learned you got to go to prayer for his understanding even on the simple passages and that became a habit of my life even passages I thought I understood I said Lord there's probably far more in this passage than is coming to my mind right now I think I understand it but I want your wisdom I want your insight and the Lord Jesus Christ has opened up even the simple passages far more than I had known before and I've come to realize I could not pastor effectively apart from the Holy Spirit's working through me I'm an under Shepherd. I'm nothing. If he's not working through me and he's not working through you, our ministries are not going to be effective. It's gotta be the reality of his power. Okay. These disciples didn't have the all the answers, but they had the Savior. Now don't get me wrong, the Bible can answer give answers to all the critics. There isn't anything critics have ever brought against it that could not be answered. We saw that last week. All kinds of objectives, objections against the Scripture that can be a given. So there is an academic aspect to Christianity. I don't want to discount that at all. Well, I don't think I need to tell you that, do you? We have a lot of academics in this church here. But here's the point. If you don't have the presence of the Savior in your life, life even with all the academics skepticism can begin to creep in, just like it did with Thomas. He was a genuine believer. He had walked close with the Lord. So let's let's start reading at verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And we'll return to that uh, in, in in, in a little bit. But Christ puts the Scriptures first. They are the absolute foundation for our lives. But it is the Spirit who gives us faith in the first place. It is the Spirit who strengthens our faith. It's the Spirit who helps to focus our faith on the Lord Jesus Christ uh, throughout our lives. And without the experience of His presence with us, the Bible tells us that this will become a dead letter. Now, it doesn't mean it's not true. It's still the Word of God. But it's not quickened to us. And the word quickened means made alive to us. Here's what Hebrews 4.2 says, The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God's the great mixer. When He starts our life, He gives us faith, He brings the word, He mixes it together in our hearts, and there is regeneration. When we're needing sanctification, He's the great mixer. He takes the word, He mixes faith, and He sanctifies us. He continually must be at work In our lives if we're ever to grow in in grace now in point five you'll probably never experience anything like the disciples experience there in chapter 21 you know where he's audibly talking to them and he's filling their net with fish and he's cooking breakfast to them but let me tell you something the same Jesus who says in verse 12 come and eat breakfast is a Jesus who cares about your breakfast And he not only cares about your breakfast, he cares about every detail of your lives. He cares about your pregnancies and your pets, and he cares about your bad hair days and uh, your car breaking down and all of these things. He is a savior and a shepherd who cares for you. He cares about all of these details. And uh, what we need to say is, Lord, I know so well I am so convinced, not only in my head but in my heart, that you care for me. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to cast my life completely in your care. Uh, Point six, when you deny Christ by falling into sin or leaving undone what needs to be done, you can have the assurance that Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not even when you sin. Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I think Peter probably felt pretty forsaken. During those three days after he denied Christ, he was probably in anguish of spirit. He felt like such a worm. He just felt horrible uh, during that period of time. And I think that uh, verses 15 through 19 are some of the most marvelous verses in this gospel. I think they deserve a separate treatment. But they clearly show that when we prove to be unfaithful to the Lord, he still is a faithful and a forgiving Savior. Uh, In the scene here, he restores Peter. He brings uh, Peter to a sense of dependence. Now, you may remember Peter had boasted, even if everybody else denies you, I'm never going to deny you. He just kept insisting, I'm not going to do that. And yet he went ahead and he denied Jesus three times. He had earlier said, though all men deny you, yet I will not. Now, there is his claim, Lord, I love you better than these other disciples, even if they all deny you, guaranteed, I'm not going to deny you. So Christ's first words to him here are, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these do? Now the word here is agape love. It's divine love. It's the highest uh, form of love. And he is also comparing Peter's love to the other disciples, just like Peter had compared himself to the other disciples. He said, do you love me more than these do? Well, Peter, he's learned his lesson. He's not going to compare himself to others anymore. And he's not even so sure he can claim. He feels like it's not humble to claim that I have divine love when I have rejected the Lord three times. So he doesn't claim that. He says, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is friendship love. It's affectional love. Lord, you know that I I have friendship for you. So Christ, in the second questioning, he drops the comparison. He says, he's not going to compare. Do you love me more than these do? Do you love me? In other words, do you love me agape at all? And Peter is still not so sure. He can claim agape love. So he says, yes, Lord, you know that I have friendship for you. Now, the third time, Christ lowers the bar even more. And he, he questions even that phileo love. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And the text says, Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, Do you phileo me? He's questioning even the phileo love. And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo, phileo you. Now that threefold questioning may seem kind of unkind and cruel and rubbing it in and, and, and just not something that's right, but actually it was a threefold affirmation of his acceptance uh, uh, of God's uh, Christ's love for him that Peter absolutely needed to hear. It was not an unnecessarily painful thing. Even though there's a threefold questioning and it's humbling, it reminded P- Peter of his threefold denial. Uh, it reminded Peter that without Christ, you can do nothing. But I think the cool thing is each time he restores Peter fully to ministry. And he restored him three times. Three times you denied me. Three times, I'm going to restore you. And those three restorals are going to stand in Peter's memory for the rest of his life of what an incredible, forgiving Savior he had. Now, this is the kind of Savior and Shepherd who is present with us and who ministers the same forgiveness to you this morning. Resurrection is more than a doctrine. It is the promise of a God who cannot lie, which means that the Word brings into existence Christ's resurrection. It means he, he brings, that doctrine actually brings Christ into your presence and gives you a resurrected Lord who knows your hearts, who brings conviction to you, who loves his sheep deeply, provides for us, takes away our fears and our sorrows. And so his love and his personal relationship with his sheep cannot be questioned. If you've finished reading all the way through chapters 1 through chapter 21, you say, wow. Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. I can never question the love of Christ. What is questioned at the end of this book is, do you love him? That's what's being questioned. Now, you can say that uh, you know much about him, you profess much, and you talk much, and you work much, and you give much, and you go through much, but the question is, do you love him? Do you love him? Love is more than just reading a doctrine or a book. Love is a relationship. Love is communication. And by the way, it's not the amount of love that you have, so don't be beaten up on yourself because of how shallow your love is. Uh, I I sometimes do that. I beat up on myself because I think, Lord, how come my love is so shallow compared to what it ought to be? Peter probably recognized his love was pretty shallow as well. And yet he clung to Jesus with all the love that he had. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, doesn't matter how shallow it is, doesn't matter how little it is, if you love him with that all, what he's going to do is he's going to increase the capacity of that love and cause it to grow and grow and grow. One of the books that has been revolutionary in my life was by the Puritan writer uh, John Owen. I can't remember. It's. Puritans have these long titles, you know, that are about 25 words, but it's about communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is what, that's the chief thing, the chief blessing that God's grace ushers us into. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, nine says that the Father calls us, part of his calling is he calls us into the fellowship of his Son. The question is, are you going to follow his calling? That's what the question is. Will you follow his calling? Now, there was one more ministry of Christ while on earth that John mentions, and it was his correction of Peter for having a wrong focus. When Peter was told, this is chapter 21 still, verses 18 through 19, when Peter was told that he was going to be crucified, that's what the language is talking about there. In fact, Peter ends up being crucified upside down. But when he's told that he was going to be crucified, in verse 21, he he says... He looks at John, who's following him. He says, but Lord, what about this man? And Christ's reply is, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, I find those words fascinating because if I was there, I would have been a little bit shocked at Christ's words. That's a little bit insensitive. I mean, I wouldn't have dared to rebuke uh, Peter. He's a good friend with John. Of course, he's going to be interested in what uh, John's future is about. But see what's going on here is Jesus is looking with boring eyes into Peter's soul, and he sees a weakness there that needs to be corrected. Now, commentators have been trying to figure out what is that weakness, and we may never know for sure, but all of the commentators do say that it is possible for us, because of our concern for other people, to miss following the Lord ourselves. You've probably experienced it. You're so busy ministering God's grace to your children, you don't have time for devotions. You don't have time to be listening to the Lord. It's so easy for for that to to happen to us. And so it's not an either or. You do need to minister to to your kids and to your children. In fact, Jesus has just finished saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. But he's saying in the process of doing that and in the process of being friends with John, make sure you follow me not enough to have others follow you follow me Now i'm going to try to wrap uh, some of this up by the way i'm glad i'm i don't know about my future and my friend's future i'd spend a lot of time worrying about <laughs> about them we could just focus on the present moment by moment we're walking with the lord uh, we don't need to know the future we can plan for it but even those plans have to be um uh, 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 how does james word it if, if the lord wills dv i love those uh words on the old letters. DV means Deo Valente. Uh, If you've wondered on old books and old letters, DV kept appearing. Deo Valente means God willing. Okay, let's go to the conclusion. I'm going to try to wrap this up. In chapter 10, Christ said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now what is clear in these narratives is that Jesus' shepherding wasn't just when he was visible with them. He was shepherding them in between these visits. How do I know? Because he knows all about Mary's tears before he gets there. And he knows exactly what needs to be done, not only to bring her peace, but more importantly, to get her to grow. He knows about the fears of the of the disciples. He knows exactly what needs to be done to get them to grow through those fears. So he doesn't have to show up and, and, and say to the disciples, okay, I've been, I haven't been around for about four or five days. Could you catch me up on what's been happening for the, the, the last little bit of time? He doesn't do that. He knows exactly uh, the denial that Peter had given. He knows the, the the denial that Thomas has given. He doesn't have to find out about those things. He ends chapter 20 by saying, but he didn't record these physical visits to make us wish we could have physical visits. In fact, didn't he tell Thomas that? You believe, because you saw. Blessed are those who believe when they don't see. So he's not writing this to say, yeah, we want everybody to be longing for physical visits from Jesus. No, the exact opposite. He said he wrote these things so that you would believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the man, the son of David, and that he was the Son of God. That's what he wrote uh, this to, 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 to be. And you look at what the Son of God was doing in uh, John chapter 1 before the incarnation, you realize, whoa, he was still the Son of God all through these chapters? Yes, he was. When Mary was holding him in, his, in her arms, he was holding her in his arms. He was upholding all things by the word of his power, which means that... Um, Jesus knows what's going on in between these visits. Uh, in chapter 21, Jesus knew that the disciples had been fishing all night without any luck. Oops, there is no such thing as luck, right? <laughs> no such thing as luck. No, he was the one who made sure they did not catch one single fish because he wanted their frustration to lead them To the Lord Jesus Christ and to say you know what God's providence is in this I should not be getting frustrated he was shepherding them it wasn't not just when he filled their nets with fish and he cooked breakfast and he said come and eat that he was shepherding them he had been shepherding them all night long preparing them to take the best advantage of that uh, visit the next morning think of the last verse of the gospel It says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Now, many people take that as hyperbole, exaggeration. It's not. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. I suppose there could be translated as I think and I think correctly and amen means truly but the dictionary says it doesn't fully capture the meaning of truly uh, truly doesn't fully capture the meaning it says it is a strong affirmation of what has been stated this is not hyperbole but it would be hyperbole if Paul if John was only writing about what was visibly physically seen about the Lord Jesus but he starts With the invisible Lord and he continues with Jesus saying in the middle of this gospel that he was omnipresent he was in heaven even while he was here on earth and he continues with many indications that he is not just the Messiah he is the Son of God which means again that he upholds all things by the word of his power he upholds every molecule every cell of your body You know, even down to the subatomic levels, he upholds that. Every cell of every plant. He upholds, uh, you know, every atom of every star, every solar flare, every particle of dust that falls onto the moon, every ray of light. He upholds the stars out there in all of their movements and the movements of the electrons around the atoms inside of every one of those stars. He upholds the billions of angels. He upholds the quadrillions of ants and aphids on this planet. And then when you get down to quantum physics and you realize there's some random things that are going on there, and he controls all of that too, you realize very literally if everything that Jesus did was written one by one, you could not fill, you could not fit it into this globe. It would exceed this globe. So I don't even take it as hyperbole. If you want to take it as hyperbole, uh, go ahead and uh, do so. But this is the shepherd who ministers to each of you individually. So John wrote these last accounts of the gospel of our risen Lord, not to convince you to long for his physical coming or manifestations, but to make you realize, you know what? It's not just when he's visible that he's a worthwhile shepherd. He loves me. He guides me. I can know him. I can be guided by him, cared for by him, shepherded in everything I do, in every way, both now and for all of eternity. In chapter 20, verse 31, he said, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And what kind of life is it that he wants you to have? He's already told us in John 10. He said, I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so if this morning you feel pretty dry and you don't have that abundant life, I want you to go to your shepherd and say, Lord, you've purchased me, purchased for me, everything that pertains to life and godliness. I desire your shepherding care in my life, and I vow to follow after you as my shepherd forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that Jesus is present with us for his promise I will never leave you nor forsake you we thank and bless you father for each one here that you care for them dearly and I pray that you would indeed shepherd them effectively we pray that uh, the Lord Jesus the great over Shepherd would help us as elders to be more effective in our shepherding to transform our shepherding into that which is life-giving on a day-by-day basis We pray for the fathers and the mothers as they shepherd their uh, little flocks, that you would transform their shepherding as they too see the Lord's reality in the words that they speak and the actions that they take. I pray, Father, that we would enter into that fellowship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that uh, uh, you have described and that you have commanded us to come into. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.